and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. This is actually a really special episode. We have Coach David Thorpe with us today. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you ladies today? Good, good. Ready to talk draft and Scotty Barnes. I should probably introduce everybody else. So we're Dishes and Dimes of Basketball News and I have Yasmin and Sandy with me as well. So how are you ladies doing? Good. I'm very good. This episode. I'm super excited. I, I want to hear. I have many questions. <laughs> I want to hear I, all the positive um, things about Scotty. So I'm I started excited. this off just letting him know that he's become a legend in like the Raptors world. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that Evan Mobley, the, the Chad Ford podcast where he said Evan Mobley number one and Scotty Barnes number two has now become legendary because a few weeks in, you look like a genius. This is exactly. And I have a lot of questions about that as well. So let's get into the episode. Okay. So to start. Um, of the um, draft picks, the faces that stood out to you, um, just watching the um, NCAA season, who has like of those people who has transitioned the best into the um, NBA season, and did things pan out as you would have thought with these people that have stood out to you from the from college basketball? So um, I think it's probably important first to start off saying that uh, my perspective is always really long term which really doesn't work great for the draft because all of you, the media and, the, and fans in general, um, you're looking for something so immediate. But I'll remind you that Giannis Antetokounmpo won his first MVP award in his sixth season. His second was in his seventh season. He won the title in his eighth season. And that's really what we expect from the best players. It's so rare to have a, a truly transformative player in terms of how he impacts wins when they're young. Luka Doncic, and I don't know if there's someone else, in terms of affecting wins, not looking great. Anthony Edwards was amazing last night. They lost. He had 46 points, they or 48, they lost. Uh, LaMelo Ball, the Hornets are better when he's off the court. But he's incredible and super talented and fills the stat sheet with offensive numbers and rebounds. But this is a two-sided game, and it's really hard to play defense. And it's very hard to understand how to play with four others, especially when rotations are constantly changing due to injury and foul trouble, trying new players and so forth and so on. So all that being said, I'm certainly not surprised at how Mobley and Barnes are playing because going into this draft, when I evaluated the players, in my mind, as someone who's been working with players on skill development since the early 90s, I kind of invented the business of player development for money that for guys that weren't on your team, you're coaching, helping players from lots of other teams. I started out doing high school kids and middle school kids in 1993 when I'm certain none of you were born yet or barely born. I was doing that with high school players. So what I think is it's harder to teach a player how to play than it is to teach them the skills they need to be successful uh, at a very high level. Barnes and Mobley had an incredible feel for the game and, and IQ, not in terms of necessarily understanding the nomenclature and the names of the actions and so forth that the NBA teams might run. But in terms of just have just like a regular intelligence IQ test, there are, there are people that can just figure stuff out. And those guys figure stuff out uh, the way Mozart probably could jump on a piano right away. It's a very special gift. And both of them had it, I thought, on tape. Well, so now they have to work on their skill game. I just think that's easier. Whereas you take a player like Jalen Green, who very clearly has elite level athleticism for the NBA at his position. His length and size for the position is great. Not elite level, but great. 
And his skill game is very advanced for someone that age, but he has no idea what he's doing on a basketball court when you're looking at winning games. And I just think it's harder to figure that out. So I'm not at all down on any of these players who don't know how to play yet. I didn't expect them to. It's been three weeks. Barnes and and Mobley, the only surprise I have at both of them is how quickly they've changed their mindset uh, towards more aggressive offensive uh, interest. Neither of them, I thought, were that offensively minded when they were college players. Remember, I saw every all of Scotty's games because my son's on the team. So I didn't miss one second of his. But I watched a lot of tape on Mobley before the draft. And, and also, he, he just wasn't as assertive as I thought he could be. But I actually like that because I thought both those guys were more we players than me players. And ego will catch them up to be the me part because they want to go get paid the max deal and sign the big shoe deal and all of that. So I, so when you had that before, you're ready for it. I think it can be problematic because you've got to sublimate your ego then for the Wii game. And I think that's hard. I think it takes a long time. And some guys like Jordan Clarkson never figure it out. And so there's a limit to their ceiling. And so Green and all these, you know, they have a chance for sure. But Mobley and Barnes to me were sure things. And I told Chad on his podcast, those guys' floors are higher than everyone else's and their ceilings are higher. How can they not be one and two? Because even if they never figure out the skill game perfectly, their understanding of how to play on both sides and impact winning is so high and their size and length for their position is so elite level that they can't help but be very good players if they never learn the skill game, which is silly to think they won't learn that. They probably will. It's an easier thing to learn. So I'm not assessing any of these guys too strictly because it's early, but those two guys are exactly what I thought they'd be. I think um I think it was I heard you saying this and I believe it was with um with Dave Dufour and, and Moda Kill and Seth Part now where you kind of um mentioned Kevin Durant kind of getting all of the sugar um in his early years and being able to just go all out and put up a million shots. Isn't that kind of what you have with Jalen Green where he just gets full run of of their offense? And do you think that a situation like that for that type of rookie who is a high usage guy who wants to get a bunch of shots up is probably better. Um, and then guys like Scotty Barnes that are on a team that probably want to contend in the near future would probably need a more we guy than a more me guy. Yeah, it's a great question. So I don't think that's the best thing for a player. What I said to be clear is yeah. it seemed to me like when KD was, you guys may not remember when he was with the Sonics, but that's who he was with. And I don't know what year it was, but it was a long time ago, right? And, 2007? Um, yeah, maybe so. And uh, that might be. We, might... we had 2006 on Jerry Bargnani, unfortunately. Oh, right. <laughs> Which was the number one pick. And had high school players been allowed to be drafted in 2006, we would have gotten KD. But unfortunately, you know, the I world know of a lot. I actually <laughs> had meetings with Bargnani's agents, and I was shocked at how arrogant they were that they thought their guy was a can't miss guy. And I thought, Oh, they don't know what they're talking about, but that's a whole nother yeah. podcast. Oh, so many questions about that, but KD, KD's the, the, as, as much a unicorn as you've ever seen in the game ever, ever. You're talking about one of the best players of all time. I looked to me like what the Sonics did, although I have no idea if they actually did this, but they played as if they were saying, it's like having a child when you own a candy store, let him go eat all the candy he wants. He'll get sick as hell. My little brother ate a whole Hershey's candy bar once when he was little. And I don't, I don't know if he's ever eaten a Hershey's candy bar again. The really big $2 one back then. Um, and then KD, I thought, got he just got sick figuratively because they just stunk. They were bad. In fact, KD in year three, this, the, at, that, at that point, they were the Thunder. 
in year three, when he's an all-star, they were still better when he was off the court. So you, so it, it took him a while to figure it out. And of course he figured it out brilliantly and he's seven feet tall and can handle like a guard. So Jalen green to me, uh, I, I don't know that he'll, I mean, I watched Edwards last night and they're similar in terms of just having incredible physical and uh, talents and skills to overwhelm defenses for sure. They do. And so green's going to have some 30 point games and some 40 point games as Edwards has, and, and will continue to have, but at what cost, at what expense to understanding the, the game that, that needs to be played to win. I wrote a book called basketball is jazz. And I named it that for a reason because we're all interconnected there. It, there are more important parts to, to a band uh, or to an orchestra and to a basketball team, but everyone is valuable. And, and we know this now, ladies, if you watch, if you study box scores, the deep uh, metrics, teams that play bad players, they have a hard time making up for the bad player in that five spot or the six spot or the seven spot to get better right away. Like the wizards have done, even though they lost Russell Westbrook who played very well the second half of the season. Yes. They changed coaches, but they're deep all the way down. Everyone can play. The Corey Kispert is a good rookie because he's not 18. And so you just never had those negative moments with the one bad player. And so Jalen Green, to me, I would have liked this. I'd like to see them add more discipline to what he's doing. Uh, and I'm not suggesting they won't in time. I will say it gets harder. It took Zach Levine a while, five years, for him to figure it out. I think Zach Levine's figured it out. I'm a big fan now, and I wasn't when he was the same age as, as uh, Jalen Green. Um, and he's not on the same team that was that draft. I was going to say, do you think that that's part of it, is just the system that these players happen to go into? Oh, when they no enter the question. Yeah. yeah. So, so I always say this, and, and it's just my opinion, but I believe that uh, there are some players, no matter where they go, no matter what their roster looks like around them, no matter who the coach is, no matter what strategies used or what the culture is like, they're going to be stars. To me, Russell Westbrook, even though Oklahoma City has an amazing culture, my friend Sam Presti definitely builds great cultures there. I think Russell could have gone anywhere and done what he's doing, what he did in his career, because he's the most athletic point guard in the history of basketball globally. There's never anyone like him and may never be another one like him. Probably won't be. But Tim Duncan, why people think was a four-year player at Wake Forest and was, you know, this unicorn. I watched him play, not just at Wake Forest, but like at a Team USA World University team in Gainesville playing for my good friend, my mentor, Alon Kruger, for the, for the under-20 team with Ray Allen and uh, Allen Iverson and all these, you would recognize almost every name, Charles O'Bannon, Kerry Kittles, all these great players. And Duncan was like their fifth best player. And he wasn't that young. I think the Spurs helped develop him into a top six, top seven player all time. Some guys need it. Some guys don't. I think most players need it. There is the rare exception. Uh, Scotty, to me, as long as you throw him on the court, you would see what he's doing now. That's not to say that what Nick Nurse is, how Nick Nurse is using him isn't the best thing for him. I think it is. But no matter how you'd play him almost, he would end up figuring stuff out. He's a genius that way. He's really special. So um, I, I remember um, a, a pod recently, I believe it was a Zach Lowe podcast where he mentioned, um, or some his guest mentioned that um, I guess it might've been Florida State U players. I can't remember. We're, we're put into a gym. Scotty Barnes is one of them. I think it was a bunch of um, guys that were there and asked to score a certain amount of points before they can leave. And Scotty Barnes asked to assist count his points as well, which I thought was hilarious and kind of talks about that me versus we thing that you were just yeah. referring to. So would you say that the most surprising thing about him entering the league is his aggression and his ability to score in the way that he has? 
Yeah, I, I heard the same thing my buddy Zach said, and it was, I think he was at an agent program. like Oh, that's what it was. Player development coach like I would do back in the day. So, um, okay. It's, there's two things here with Scotty that I've seen. There's three things. One, uh, he was like champagne bubbly in college. He was like a big puppy. And I mean it in the best way possible. I love this about him. He was so emotional on the surface. Joy jumped out of his pores when anyone on his team did well, not just him. But when he did well, he was dancing. I mean, and, and you can you can look it up. He was doing some dancing last year at Florida State. Like his, when he, he won a game or whatever, he was, he's great. He, I think he tied a game against Indiana early in the season on, on the Big Ten ACC matchup. Um, I, that, I don't see that anymore. He has matured. And so it reminds me, and, and I know you weren't alive for this because I was just 14, but Magic Johnson's first ever game as a rookie was uh, in, I think, October something, 1979 against the San Diego Clippers. And Kareem hit a famous like 18 foot sky hook to win the game. I was watching a tape delay back then. It wasn't live. I lived in Florida. They played games on tape delay starting 1130 East Coast time. But I love the Lakers for different reasons. I didn't love Magic until after this game. But um, Magic jumped in his arms. And Kareem wrote in his book, Giant Steps, that he told Magic, hey, we have 81 more of these. You can't react this way after every win. And Magic said, you keep making 18-foot shots to win a game, I'm going to keep jumping on you every time. But the reality is, the game, Kareem is right. Celebrate the game-winning shots, but you can't expend a ton of energy every moment of every game that isn't directed towards winning the game. It's too tiring. So that is a change in Scotty. I think he's matured. He doesn't argue with referees almost ever. He, he's so much more polished than, I, than he was in college anyway. And he's done this quickly. That's one change. Change number two, as I've already alluded to, he's definitely looking to score more. There's no question. Switch a guard on him. Watch what happens. He's calling for the ball. He's backing him down. He's trying to make a play. He's willing to shoot. Little floater, little you know, bucket to the rim. He kind of just gets buckets. He's just talented that way. Or he'll kick out if help comes. The third change, which I actually think is the most important, is his recognition that he is a gigantic, tall, long, strong, athletic man playing with other men who not always or not often are as tall and long and athletic and strong as him that play his position. And so what does that mean? It means he's constantly around the rim. I have clients in the NBA that are seven feet tall. And I swear, I promise you, early this season after week one, I showed this player Scotty Barnes tape. And I said, look how Scotty's always around the front of the rim like he's Embiid, who doesn't have skill. Embiid has skill, so he likes to float away. But Shaq, we call it a Shaq mindset, a disposition to dominate that area right around the rim. Scotty has that and never showed that in college, in my opinion, ever. And when he did hang around the rim, he wasn't a great finisher. He slowed down, which I'm not surprised that the game, the game does go very slow for him and Mobley too. Uh, they're very patient. Suggs as well, Jalen Suggs. I think has some talent with that. The game is super fast for most young guys. These guys have slowed down. So those three things I've noticed, big changes for Scotty. They're all going to play very, very well. He's got to develop other things that we can talk about if he's going to be an MVP level player, which I think he could be. But at worst, this is who he's going to be for a long time and he's going to be special. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me um, 
heading into the NBA season from Barnes was the shooting progression, just seeing um, his comfort in the mid-range area. Do you see sustainability in that development from him? Yes, great question. Yes. Uh, it's something my son, I would never say this until the season was over. I texted and talked to my son a lot about this exact thing. He was not the coach. He was a redshirt freshman. Now he's a redshirt freshman. Last year, he was just redshirted as a freshman in a COVID year where they were super restricted at Florida State. Uh, I, I will tell you, Coach Hamilton treats his college team like I think most NBA programs treat their teams. And that is, it is about the health of the athlete, both physically and mentally, above all else. And I'm telling you, I've done this for three plus decades now and sent scores of players to colleges. That is not typical. I'm not going to say it's very unique, but I'm telling you it's not normal. He, he plays, there's a reason why my son is there, not somewhere else. He had options. Uh, he places the health mentally and physically of that, of those players above all else. And so when COVID hit, even though our state acted like it didn't mean anything at Florida state, it did. They were very strict. And so he couldn't really get in the gym and do a whole lot. But what I noticed it, other than when the team was there, they, they didn't go back in. They can do it now. They couldn't then. There was no vaccine. What I noticed in games is he could make the mid-range. I called the second box shot from 15 feet to eight feet in the paint. I called the second box. We, my players, including young players, I coach when my son was playing, we hunt the second box all the time. My son got a turnover last night, hunting the second box. He just fell down. He was exhausted, whatever. But he was trying to get to that second box. We're trying to get there and then make a play in the middle of the court. Scotty did it. He just did it randomly and accidentally too often. And I think he's since figured out I can really be effective there because he's all about winning. So, which I love about him and Mobley and, and plenty of others. Uh, so he's learned to attack that more. And again, because they were so limited last year in terms of exposure to shooting coaches, including the Florida State guys, but even on their own, you couldn't do it. You couldn't get into a gym anywhere. Well, that's not the case anymore. So yes, Masai and Nick Nurse value player development. As you, you guys know, probably my history with Masai, he, He's been, he was with me at the beginning. He knows. We want to, we want to talk about that today. Right. So he knows the, that you can get players better at this kind of stuff. And so I think that uh, Scotty is, they're just working with him on it. And I will tell you, he's 75% from the free throw line now. Mm-hmm. And I think he's 20 of 24 and all games combined, except for two games. We went three for six and one for two. I believe I'm right when I say that. So in all the other games, he's 80 plus percent he's coming like he's I don't know if he'll be an 80% free throw shooter I think it's possible if he has 75 now the game's gonna slow down even more he's gonna get more and more reps I think he's one of those guys we've seen free throw rates drop and we will continue to see that as referees I think we're trying to I think the NBA is trying to get a more fluid game so people stop clicking off because every time someone go to the free throw line we, we could lose viewers the NBA can and so I'm all for it without it being fist fights which I would hate I think I like the way the games are being played now personally. And I've watched this game for, you know, almost 50 years. Um, Scotty's one of those guys that's going to get fouled a lot because he's just longer and stronger than most guys. So he needs to get that down, but he's getting it down. It's an, if you're a Raptors fan or a Barnes fan, you should be encouraged by that. 
do you have okay so I guess you talked about the refereeing um kind of changing a little bit in the flow of the game this year which which I did want to get into but you also at the top of the call mentioned Scotty at the five and I wanted to talk you said you like the way that Nick Nurse has been using Scotty Barnes and I want to talk about that specific lineup where we got to see the Raptors kind of play what I think all of us have kind of been waiting for all year finally with Siakam healthy what did you think about that lineup out there and and how Scotty can be used moving forward with the Raptors in that Pascal Siakam OGN and Scotty Barnes trio of big men. Yeah, I think I love it. First of all, I don't like what Nick Nurse has done. I love what Nick Nurse has done. And he, you, I've said this before. I said it two years ago. I wrote him. I wrote this at, at our website, True Hoop. You've got your Greg Popovich. Like he should be there 25 years. He's really spe- a special coach and a great man for the game. Um, I, that lineup in particular. I like just fine. And maybe it's a closing lineup, but I do think that uh, I compare Scotty and I wrote this an article last year. Scotty's got a lot of Giannis in him. I don't mean he plays like Giannis necessarily. Giannis is as unicorn as you get, but he's, he can be very similar in that he can really impact the game on both ends and not be a shooter. Like he's not Steph Curry. He'll never be Steph Curry probably ever. No one will ever be. So Curry can really change the game because of that. Damian Lillard back when he was shooting well because of that. I don't think that's ever going to be Scotty's game or Giannis's game. But we, we can't argue. We saw what Giannis did in the postseason. Right. But he also has Brooke Lopez on his team, who has become a very good rim protector. So rim protector. So I think the Raptors need not only go quote-unquote small, but I do think they're playing with the idea, and they've got the, the Banton kid too, where they can go 6-8 across the board. Right and be basketball players. And I, and I, I wrote this years ago that I think we're going to see teams go super small, that just rugged physical Luke Dort types, and they'll get killed on the glass, but you'll have a tough time guarding them too, not for the whole game. And then I thought there'll be teams that find five guys, six, eight, six, nine, and bigger that can do everything on the court, guard every position. And the Raptors are doing the latter. Uh, they're playing with that a little bit, or they'll play four guys around Freddie which is fine too. And he's, he's not a defensive liability. That's for sure. So yeah, I think it's smart for coach nurse to do a lot of those things. And this is the year to experiment and Siakam is healthy, quote unquote. He isn't back. Yeah. yeah he's, he's missing. Yeah. And you guys know that. Yes. So when he does find it, uh, I think they're going to, I think they'll make a good surge because he's, he's a big difference maker. Um, do you think that there's going to be a bit of a learning curve with this particular style of play? Because I've noticed that, um, the Raptors, the last couple games that we've seen this um, iteration of the rotation, um, they've had some issues with the defensive rotation. It seems like they're a little bit out of sorts, um, getting killed on the glass, yeah, but also having issues with um, closing out to the corner shooters, uh, boxing out, they're getting backdoored a lot. Do you think it's going to require, because everyone on the court at all times is an individually very talented defensive player, but um, do you think it's going to take some time for them to find that um, uh, what's the word like that singularity between yeah, themselves? Cohesion, almost chemistry. The connection. Yeah, the chemistry, the defensive yeah. chemistry. Really, right. the, the, the connection. Uh, we always say uh, on defense, everyone's kind of. Did y'all play at all? No, soccer, any of you play basketball? basketball? <laughs> Little bit, but not not in anywhere well. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> because so in coaching, we talk about defensively. This is a Bobby Knight thing from the nineteen seventies. Maybe Hubie Brown before that the sixties and Chuck Daly too, you're kind of all tied to a string, a, a relatively short string. And so as one moves, everyone moves. That's the idea. Obviously there's exceptions, but generally speaking, 
you're moving together. Uh, Jerry Tarkanen had a famous defense called the Amoeba defense where he played a five-man zone, everyone kind of moving together, but that's really how most defenses work. Um, and so I think that the key to any defense, to your point, Yasmin, the key is everyone has to know their job on every possession based on personnel packages that we have on the court and they have on the court. All right, that is, and that's the same thing for football, by the way. It's the same thing for every pitch in a baseball game. My son was a high-level baseball player before he switched to basketball, so I was very involved. You have to be thinking through every possible uh, at-bat consequence. Pass ball, wild pitch, uh, pop fly territory, pop fly foul territory, every grounder. You have to think of every possible thing you'll do with a man on base. All that's got to go through your head. And everyone should be thinking the same thing, so they're in tune. And when you see mistakes happen, it's normally a decision mistake. Remember that Hubie Brown teaches, I think, the single most valuable jewel to understand the NBA game that there is, which is we set screens for one reason. This is in my book, to make defenders think. It's a very brilliant, nuanced point. You set screens to make defenders think. Because now they've got to go through just what I described in baseball. And you could say the same thing with, um, with football and every play where everyone lines up defensively is the entire game. Tackling is important, but you first have to line up right or you're dead. And, and quarterbacks like Tom Brady, especially in college where you have a lot of very immature, not very smart football players, they make gigantic mistakes lining up. And then the quarterback takes advantage of it. In basketball, we always yell starting position. How you start every possession is huge. But once those screens are set, or in some cases a cut or a dribble drive where a guy beats his man off the dribble and now it's five on four, or maybe it's four on three because he beat a trap uh, or you know, like a short roll. And now it's four on three, the short roll. So two guys blitz Freddie, Freddie hits Barnes rolling to 15 feet in the middle and now it's four on three. So now that defense has to figure out who does what, where, and they have to know ahead of time what they're supposed to do. So to answer your question, yeah, it's going to get better in time because this is really hard. This is the best league in the world with the best players. And they're super fast and strong and skilled. And you play so often, you can't really just lock in on any one opponent because by the time you really get it, you're already done with the game. You're on to the next game, which might come the next night. And you might have to fly first for three hours. So it takes some time for everyone, especially these new guys and these inexperienced guys like, like Banton and Barnes, of course, to understand instinctively. Remember, instincts aren't what we're born with. We think they are, but I have, I, my twins are 20 now, but I promise you their instinct was to touch fire and to run on the road. No, we had to teach them a new instinct which was not to touch fire and don't eat that candy and don't run across the road. So you have to learn those instincts. And so that's what this game is. And because we rarely practice in the NBA, they have to learn it in games. That's their practice. And that's why I love coach nurse experimenting. It's all reference points for the future. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's tanking. And I'm not saying he's saying we can't make the playoffs this year. I don't think either is the case. But if you don't do these things now, you are lowering their ceiling later. And that would be a big mistake. Yeah, definitely. I think McNurse is like kind of cemented the fact that he does that. I think Raptor fans have kind of just understood. There were times where we were like, why are you guys playing Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol together? The playoffs come, you go up against Joel Embiid and, and that team. And you're like, okay, yeah, I see it. I see it. <laughs> um, so, so that completely makes sense. Now, are there any rookies that you've been surprised by? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me think a bit. Um, yeah. There's been a few. 
Any that uh, maybe have fallen out of that weren't a lottery pick that maybe has surprised you the most? Well, uh, let me go back a little bit. So uh, Josh Giddy, even though he's a disaster on defense right now, I liked him. I had him in my top 12. I, I don't remember where I had him, but I had him in my top 12. Um, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's a pretty good player. Um, I like Sangoon. I had, it, I had him in my top 12 uh, for Houston. Um, no, I mean, I'm supposed to be good at this. I'm supposed to not be surprised. I'm supposed to really study. And, and the guys at Synergy will tell you I do. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, Scotty's impressed me with his, both he and Mobley have, have surprised me that their mindset has changed so dramatically so fast. But uh, so it's fair to say I didn't see that coming. I don't know that I saw. Was Scotty this strong in, in college? Like as someone who hasn't watched college basketball, I just remember like a, the other day he stripped the ball directly from Kevin Durant's hands. He just yanked that and said, it's mine now. Was he this strong? He just looks very big for a rookie in my head. He, he does, okay. doesn't he? And, <laughs> yeah. and no, he was not that strong. Uh, again, this is partly, it's partly college. I don't think college, I just don't think they, they focus on getting strong, um, the better basketball programs anyway. And I mean that as a compliment. Like I've coached players that played at Duke and went to the NBA and those guys don't lift weights at all. Didn't for many years. Maybe they do now. I, I know Florida State lifted for sure, but because of COVID, and it's not fair, I didn't ever know deeply what they're doing until my son got there, and it was a COVID year in year one. I think they're lifting weights more now than they were last year. Again, they were so restricted in what they were doing last year. But Scotty's been off since, you know, he knew he was going pro, and whenever they whenever they got eliminated, April maybe it was, maybe March, he's been with trainers since then. Not guys like me for basketball, strength trainers. He's powerful. Yeah. Scott's a, he's a big dude for 20 yeah. And that is not something that, and I don't like guys gaining weight. I think that's problematic. I don't, I don't, I'm not friendly with Scott. I never met him because I never went up there during the season and met the team. I only met with my son once in a hotel room for one night. That was it. Cause we were so afraid to bring the virus to the team and have them lose the season. Um, but uh, I, I, so if I knew, if I knew him, I would say don't gain too much weight. I think that ends up being problematic for your skeletal system and your muscles. Uh, I think right now he looks fine and normal. Mobley is in a similar boat. They've got to get stronger without really adding too much weight, I think, uh, and they'll be healthier for it. So speaking of rookies that have surprised, but I don't know if this is even as much of a surprise because I feel like um, we've been familiar with his game at the college level, but how does a guy like Delano end up so low in the second round? Uh, I'm going to answer that, but I did. I just remembered one player that surprised me. Uh, Franz Wagner from Michigan. Mm. I loved him, except when he beat Florida State, because he he really <laughs> killed Florida State. Uh, I loved him then as a prospect. And then I watched my film and I, I just didn't like him. I did not have my top 12. I thought he was soft. I, I just thought he did not make as many tough plays as what our league demands. And uh, I was wrong. I love his game. He has been aggressive. Talk about mindset. He is trying to dunk on dudes and attacking dudes. Defensively, I think he's been. I don't. I knew he had a chance to be a good defender, and that was his brand. But I just didn't see it toughness-wise. I see it in the NBA. Orlando, he's probably been more of a. He's been a pleasant surprise more so than Jalen Suggs. Right. Not yeah. even starting point guard Cole Anthony, who I love, is starting point guard. Um, I, <coughs> excuse me. I don't remember. Excuse me. Studying Banton, I watched him on film as a Raptor. Uh, you know, the league can be a little bit biased towards non-athletes. 
And they're a little biased when they don't know your position. Mm. Uh, Scotty, I don't know how far Scotty falls if Masai didn't take him before. Maybe, I mean, I, I know That's Orlando loved him. That's a good question. I wonder that too. Yeah, I know Orlando loved him. So if I was guessing, I would tell you Orlando takes him. I, I talked to them. And okay. I know they spent a lot of time in Florida State and talked to the coaches. He probably goes at five. But I would tell you there were people concerned about him like there are every year in the draft when you're not sure about position. That, that is being mitigated more recently because we're trying to play more positionless basketball anyway. Right. Ten years ago, it would, Scotty would not go top five. Because yeah. he wasn't really a point guard and he wasn't really anything. He was just a basketball player. And I think we, back then, I remember this very well because I was, you know, that was in the heart of when I was doing a ton of work with NBA players. Uh, they wanted you to be prototypical size for one position. Right. And, and so maybe with maybe Banton, you know, is he really a one? Not, he doesn't seem like a great athlete to me. He's fine as an athlete, but we're comparing him to Wes Rustbuck at that position. And so there's a lot John Wall at his prime was and Derek Rose. Uh, and I don't think he shoots it well, does he? No, he's not a shooter. No, well, not a so, shooter. There you go. He has a that's bit of a shooter. That's about it. Yeah, not a real <laughs> shake and bake, not a real shake and bake guy. No, uh, not a great athlete and not a great shooter, not even maybe a good shooter. Six However, handle the ball, guys. <laughs> I think he dribbles it fine. Yeah, yeah, I think he dribbles it fine, but he's not a shake and bake guy yet. No, no, not, no not yet. He can, he manages to get into the paint though. That's one. How thing often? How often are guys with that kind of length shake and bake guys? Like uh, in my head, I just imagine a, a Kyrie Irving builds a, a smaller guard. Um, how often do we get? I guess because big men haven't really been trained to. I guess like traditionally big men wouldn't be handling the ball that that's not a skill set that that has been imparted on them or like trained. Um, So maybe that's something that we see down the line, but yeah, that's interesting. Well, we're starting to see it some now. Yeah. Uh, Joakim Noah, Joakim Noah could be the facilitator of an offense, but he wasn't a shake and bake. If I asked you, I, all three of you love the NBA. We would have no problem naming those guys because they're the best players in the world. There's Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Paul George. <laughs> that's very true. That is true. When, when asked the question, what does Scotty have to do next? That's my answer. Well, to go from where he is projected to go just right now without ever any improvement, but to get to that next level, you've got to be an elite ball handler like those guys. Right. Then comes the shooting. And if you can do it together, great. But that unlocks a whole other part of your game. So to me, Banton does have a nice little change of speed surge that he can use. He used one, I think it was last night. They called a block. I thought it was a charge, but he did attack the rim and he called a block. That was a quick move he made. He's got to get much better. He's got to get much more elusive with the ball. So does Scotty. Right. Yeah. Paul George, Kevin Durant, these guys, you know, Kawhi, these guys can do whatever. They can go wherever they want to go, uh, and just like they're a little guard. Evan Mobley is a very good ball handler for a guy that's yes. Speaking of Evan Mobley, uh, how do you? Uh, I, I was a little low on um, the Cavs acquiring him because I had that question of how he'd look with Jared Allen, but now I feel so stupid because they look amazing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I thought, again, I thought he was the best player in the draft, and, but I don't think he was the best player. I thought he was the best prospect. And, yeah. I, and I'll be honest with you, you're, you seem like very nice people. I'll be, I'll tell you the truth. I can't really say that I liked Mobley more than Barnes. I had to do it because I couldn't, I'd be seen too biased. Right. Well, just to be fair, I went to Florida. My mom went to Florida. I have two brothers with a medical degree and two bachelor's degrees from Florida. My sister went to Florida. 
I'm a Gator. It's a fact. I don't root for them anymore. They're just all colleges to me. I just root right. for wherever my son is, wherever right. my friend's coach. I have a friend at Akron. I root for Akron. I have a friend who's an AD in New Mexico. I root for New Mexico. Right. I root for my friends now. Mm-hmm. But people would hear me put Scotty number one, and I think they would have thought Al Thorpe's is being biased towards his Florida guys. <laughs> right. And I thought it was Lost a coin <laughs> To be fair. I mean, I absolutely loved Mobley, and I, and I would never stretch the truth of how I felt about a player. It was really a coin flip to me. Uh, uh, though, so Mobley being a perimeter-based guy, he, he can do things out there, and I think he can guard out there. Mm. Uh, I didn't know yeah. how good he'd be at impacting the paint the way he has been. I know Jared Allen can do that. So Mobley can get out on the floor more on both ends. You only need one guy to protect the paint. Having two is great, but you better make sure you have four guys guarding the perimeter. And I thought Mobley could do that. So I thought Cleveland did really well for themselves with that pick. And I mean, just to speak real quickly on Cleveland, I don't know if you all in Toronto even care about Cleveland, but the rest of us so have fun. to pay attention to the Cavaliers. I think they're so uh, fun. <laughs> they're, they're they've got, yeah, they've got yeah, four Sexton six. is a blow to them losing him for to injury. That really sucks. Uh, who's that? Oh, who's Sexton, that? Colin, it's Colin. Oh Sexton. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, right. But, but looking down the road, they've got four. So if you think about a team having their top six, they've got four now. Sexton Garland, I think Sexton's probably better off as a sixth man, ultimately. That's what yeah, I think. I think, star, yeah. I think he's more of a Lou Will. I think he's more of a Lou Will. But he can really score. Yeah. So Garland, Mobley, Allen, lock it in. Mark it in, we don't know, but you can find a small forward if it doesn't work out. But maybe it'll work out. We'll see. Maybe he shifts to being a seventh man as a backup four. He's being paid pretty well. But uh, you got to try that. And guys will get hurt. And you can play Mobley at five and Mark it at four, and that's fine. But that was an interesting move. What did you think about that? Them bringing in Markman? I thought that I, was. I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, <laughs> I didn't understand. I still don't quite understand it. I watched him play the three, and I'm like, so this was the plan. Okay. Yeah. If, if they think, I mean, I, I will tell you this: it is the it is one of my least favorite things about executives when they think they can convert a clear four or five into a three, but they all want to do it. It is very sexy. In that sense, it's very attractive. Think I can take this gigantic tall man and move him to small forward. The few times you can do it, like like Kevin Durant, great. Right. But it's just it's hard to do. And I've had I've had GMs tell me that their center who is doing pretty well is really a small forward in a few years. Well, a few years from then they were out of the league because right. they couldn't do that. Um so I, <laughs> I mean, I would give I would give Martin a chance. I would give him a chance, but yeah. I'm skeptical right now, but they, but listen, Garland's a hit, Sexton's a hit, Mobley's a, a grand slam. Uh, so they're, they're moving in the right direction. That's, that's a, one mm-hmm. of the teams we're looking at down the road once Brooklyn ages out. Milwaukee with Giannis will always be around. Miami might age out when you think about Lowry and Butler, but they do about a bio and Hero and, and Duncan Robinson. Uh, Cleveland's a team that they got to do a lot more things right, but they, there's a path there for them to be relevant. Um, speaking of uh, teams aging out or teams um, that are going to be in the conversation for the next, you know, almost decade, uh, how, what do, what are your thoughts on like the Sixers right now and the questions surrounding um, Ben Simmons and whether they can get an adequate return for trading him? And, um, you know, I feel like this is uh, Embiid is a type of player where you want to maximize every year of him that you do have. Um, how do you think that this is going to pan out just using your expertise? So Darren Moyes, I would say, is a friend of mine, certainly a business friend of mine. We've had many conversations over the years, and we still text each other even now. And um, he's super smart. 
super smart. And it is, we know that just what you said, Joel Embiid, you're, you're, you, when you have Joel Embiid now, not as a rookie, you got to think about winning the whole thing, winning the championship. So he's, he's just not going to get rid of Ben Simmons to get rid of Ben Simmons. He, he's, they're doing pretty well without him. He, uh, oh, yeah. Daryl Morey, I mean, I love Masai and we may, we may talk about him, like I said, but um, Daryl's probably the best talent acquisition GM in the league. If you look in the whole thing, I, I maybe argue Toronto is the best at player development. I, I probably would make that argument that they might be the best right now at player development, which makes me very happy. But track record wise, I think Daryl might be the best we have. It's we could argue a few things, but he'd be right there. They're, they're, he loaded up this offseason. I mean, you didn't have to add a lot of guys, but bringing back Corkman's, who's been good. George Niang's probably the steal of free agency. He's probably worth seven, eight million dollars a year, which everyone said. Every analyst wrote that Niang was worth seven, eight million a year. He was just stuck on the best team in the league, playing a tight role, but he was better than that, a two-way player. And he got him for two years, like seven million dollars. It's a joke. And uh, and Drummond is a terrific backup, better than Dwight Howard for for MB. So uh, Maxi. I thought it was a great pick at 21. It was probably a no-brainer because most people thought it was a lottery pick. I am very high on Ty Maxey and was in the draft. I thought it was a lottery pick talent. So um, they're doing better than treading water now. And uh, they've got the best offense in the league. And they're much worse on defense because they lost Ben Simmons. Right. So I think Daryl's going to wait until either Lillard or Beal decide they want out, which we have no idea if that'll happen. Um, or he's going to have to take lesser of a star and more really good players that he might fold together to get another star or just right. have the deepest team in the league. Uh, either way, he wants to build it. He's a very bright man. He wants to build a team that's going to win a championship. And I think they'll have a hell of a run. I really do. So you, you think that they're going to, they're going to, they're looking to contend this year. Like there's oh, yeah. a question about it. They're looking to contend for it. I would, I would say you're exactly right. They're looking just how you said it. They want to win a championship this season. Daryl Morey has once said, like, if you have a 5% chance at winning a championship, right. you got to go all the way in. That's his um, Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we, we um, of course, want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to get into Masai Ujiri really quickly. But we just got a couple of questions here from sure. people who are excited that you were joining. Um, so... Well, one, I think it's just fairly a broad question, but Siakam Spin asks, what is Siakam, what is Siakam's, what is Scotty Barnes' ceiling in your estimation? A good question. So I think there's a, there is some number of a percent that he could be the MVP of the league. I, I don't think it's 20%. That's the number? Well, let's put it this, you know, let's put it this way. Cole Anthony's never going to be the MVP of the league. And I like Cole Anthony. 98% of the players of the league will never be MVPs. Yeah. So we're already putting them in very rarefied air. I am putting them in very rarefied air when I tell you that as Giannis has been a two-time MVP, Scotty has that kind of ceiling to be that kind of transformational player. I think, unlike Giannis, Scotty needs to improve his three-point shooting. Giannis didn't. Scotty isn't seven feet tall. And yeah. uh, he's got some other things, though, pretty similar to Giannis. And it'll be a little bit different, too. Uh, so I think that's possible, but first team, all league, second team, all league MVP of, of any playoff series he plays in as, as it gets older, not a probably as a rookie. Um, those are all in his future 10 time all-star like, like there's magic Johnson, Scotty Pippen in him all over the place, guys, girls, Ooh, all over the place. My heart. Be still. That's just, I mean, 
And that isn't coming from my eyes. Mm-hmm. That's what Leonard Hamilton told me when my son took his official visit to Florida State before Scotty ever stood foot on campus as a student. Oh, he so told bad. us, my wife and my son and myself, he's Scotty Pippen, Magic Johnson, to which I thought, now you're being ridiculous. <laughs> and I thought he was ridiculous in a good way. I didn't see Magic Johnson last year. Magic's my favorite player of all time. Mm-hmm. So I know his game pretty darn well. That is not who I saw last year. I understood where he was coming from. I didn't see it. And even though this year he's not getting many assists right. because of the way he's being played, he's, he's basically a center. He's basically, he can bring the ball up the floor and then he's dunk spot guy, cutting guy, whatever. Um, I think I've seen magic in him, the way he guides players around. Like when Magic Johnson was running Team USA, uh, Bobby Hurley Jr. told me this story. Uh, he was working with, if you know the story, they put together a group of college players, Jamal Mashburn, uh, Bobby Hurley Jr., those guys, to go work out against Team USA. Chris Weber was on that college team. In fact, they beat him in one game, although Coach K says it was all rigged. They wanted, they, they wanted Team USA to lose to fire him up. The next day, they won by 80 points. I, Bobby Hurley flew from that Team USA tryout or workout to a camp I was running, and we had to go get him from the airport and take him to lunch. Uh, we, we took him lunch on campus at Five Star. And uh, he told me the story that Chuck Daly just gave Magic Johnson the play, and then he orchestrated the four defensive offensive teammates and the five defensive players. He just taught them all the play live. With his back to the ball, to the you know basket, doing it. Scotty has done that a few times. Not five guys directing, but organizing something. Yeah. Jonah got a cut. We've There's seen. another level chess player in his brain, and over time, he's going to figure that stuff out. And I also think he's toned down that joyous child, childlike personality that I saw in college that I fell in love with. And I think again, I think he was smart to do that, but it's in there. And unless someone breaks his heart, it's going to stay in there. And as he gets more comfortable being the man, or he doesn't care if he's the second best player on the team. And if he's your second best player, you're pretty damn good, especially over the years two, three, and four. I think you're going to see that joyous person come out too. And he's going to become a superstar. Yeah. He's just so fun to watch. Do the Raptors have the most joyous rotation uh, front court there with Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes? Is that just yeah. all smiles team? I'm a huge, yeah, I'm a huge uh, yeah not right now. <laughs> it'll, it'll come. It'll come. All right. So the uh, another question that we have from Swar Lasers is, is it better to have a length at the two, three, four positions with a nominal big body or, or uh, have a length at the three, four, five positions with a spot shooter at the two? Yeah, I, I saw this question on Twitter. I, I don't know that I really understood it. So let me just answer this the best that I can. Yeah. Um, I personally like lineups with, I call the 80% rule, where 80% of my players are long and athletic their position and 80% are great shooters, okay? I don't, people will say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, I'm not talking about height. I'm talking about length and athleticism and shooting. So when the Raptors are talking about that lineup, we talk about the you know five athletes that aren't centers. I don't like that for a whole game, but I like that, especially in fourth quarters. I think that can really play once people can shoot. So four of your five players need to be long and athletic and four or five need to be able to shoot the ball. I think that is where our league is going. What our league is going to look like when, when I'm maybe close to death or just old and you, you ladies are in your prime, is going to be a whole bunch of Scotty Barnes running around especially yeah. if they widen or lengthen the court. It's just more advantageous to the long, athletic, tall guy. Right. Uh, and not the seven-footer necessarily. It helps. Mobley is really mobile. So that helps to be that tall and that mobile. The fluid hips that they can move. 
Um, yeah, I like, I worry less about height because I think that has to do with head size. I have a big head or a neck size, which is, mine isn't so long. My son's is pretty long. Uh, I'd much rather look at wingspan, sleeve length, uh, inseam. Those kind of things matter to me the most because that affects you as an athlete more. Should they be measuring inseam at the... At the yeah. combine? Yeah, I like look, the high-waisted guys tend to be more athletic. Yeah. The, the, the low-waisted guys tend to be less athletic. There's value to them. Zaza Pachulli was a very low-waisted guy. Uh, there was value, you know, other than ruining the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard, he, you know, he had a fine career. He uh, brought think, Kawhi over to, to Alex McKechnie and the Toronto Raptors. So. <laughs> I, I, yeah, right. I do think that uh, not so much inseam as sleeve length. The wingspan is fine. But I don't care so much shoulder to shoulder. I have wide shoulders. Oh. That's fine. But my arms aren't super long. I wish they were longer. They're maybe an inch, two inches plus my size. So mm -hmm. six two wingspan. I'm six feet tall at my prime long ago. I think pure wingspan is sorry. Uh, so, is, was, yeah. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not a tailor. I must have just said the wrong thing. I meant leg span. I thought inseam was like inside of a pant leg. Like should we be like measuring how long people's legs are in the same way that we're measuring wingspan in the last? Yeah. No. I no. You said it exactly right. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that that was yeah. the correct I, terminology. I, I think that only goes to athleticism. In my experience, and this is not scientific; it's just my eyes. The higher waisted guys tend to be better athletes yeah. typically. That's yeah. what I've always seen. So you can see that by the time they enter college, you can see that if they're really long, they're probably going to be pretty bouncy. And if they're not pretty bouncy and they're pretty long, they've probably not been trained to do so. Or they grew late and never even thought about being an athlete before. Uh, but I, I really do like sleeve length, sleeve length more so than uh, wingspan. I think wingspan is less valuable than knowing just how long. You don't typically contest two hands like this. Normally it's one arm really high in the air. I think that's more valuable. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just I was interested in the fact that they didn't do that. And I just watched Scotty take the court in three steps. And I'm like, yeah, wouldn't long. it be useful to know how long? Like, it's like this useful information. Um, so we have a question from um, A is in the name. Uh, okay, so it's a two-parter. One is, um, so Scotty has guarded some of the league stars already and has done a decent job on them. Which star matchup would be most intriguing for you to see? Um, and then which one do you think would give him the most trouble? So is there a... Uh, it's the same yeah. answer. It's okay. the same answer. Um, I think, well, I probably think the same thing Coach Nurse thinks, which is, can he guard Embiid and make it tough? Can he guard Jokic and make it tough? Nobody can guard those guys. Yeah. Can he make them less efficient than they would be otherwise? Because if the answer is yes, that's a gigantic problem solved. Draymond Green can guard almost any five. He couldn't guard Cousins. Cousins just bullied him. He's this massive man that also has a disposition to dominate the paint sometimes. Yeah. DeMarcus was at his best. That's what he was doing. It wasn't just shooting threes. Uh, if, if, so if Scott, and, and the reason why Draymond could do it is his timing on contests is the best I've ever seen in my, in my entire life as a coach. He just contests so, so well and makes it tough to score. And I think he also has a very good standing reach, is my guess, because he he does bother their shots. If Scotty can learn to guard massive fives, so now they have to guard him on the other end. Big, big. It's just a big asset for Nick Nurse to start playing with his X and O's. Like I can play Scotty at the five, just like the death lineup for the Warriors with yeah. Draymond. Right. I can do that with Scotty. We don't have to bring Aaron Baines back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now that big dude's got to guard my guard who can right. guard your center. 
Right. And this is why the Warriors were the Warriors. All right. I think we're I think we're into the Masai Ujiri portion of this. If any, we can like I feel like we can ask you a million other questions about basketball, but of course we want to respect you. You're gonna have me on again. I'm here. Have me on again, right? Yes. Of course. Also, yeah. We don't have to unload everything today. But um, you have a very unique relationship with Masai Ujiri and a very long time relationship with Masai Ujiri. Honestly, um, I think we're almost. I wonder if. You know, of course, I you know want to give credit to Masai Ujiri for being where he's at, but I also want to give credit to you for Masai Ujiri for being where he's at because we wouldn't have him if if he didn't get his start in the way that he did. Um, so can you speak to that uh, a little bit? It's a very well, long way to ask. You're being very sweet. I I don't I don't know that he. I mean, I definitely helped, but he could have been yeah. many other ways. It just worked out. Basically, uh, do y'all know how we met? Do you know that story? How we met initially? Um, I've heard you tell it before, um, okay. but I, I don't want to bore anyone. Do you want me to tell no, it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for our listeners who, who aren't familiar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. So basically, I was working with a young Nigerian. I've trained a lot of uh, Nigerian guys. My first one, though, was a young man named uh, Illumide Oyedeji. And Illumide was a, he turned out to be a second round pick for the Sonics, played a number of years in the NBA. This was, uh, this was in, I think, late 90s, maybe, yeah, maybe late 90s. And uh, I went to go see him play in the Boston Summer League. Back then, Boston hosted a Summer League. And so after one of the games, I was waiting for him to come out of the locker room. And uh, they played at the UMass uh, uh, Boston campus. And um, I, I went with the JFK Library. It's an amazing place. And this young guy came over to me with a British accent and uh, had a kind of kid and play haircut. Nothing crazy, but he definitely had it up there a little bit. And back, he just <laughs> very gracious. Oh, everyone that's ever done an article about him has asked me for pictures, but this was before <laughs> cell phones. I didn't take a selfie of this dude that came over to talk to me. Um, he just very graciously introduced himself and said, I, I know your coach Thorpe. Alumide has said you've helped him so much in the pre-draft process and in the summer league games. And then he pointed up to the stands. I remember very well. And he said, those are my buddies. We're all Nigerian. And uh, uh, some of us played professionally overseas. I think he was playing in Britain at the time, but we're here supporting, you know, our countrymen, uh, Day. So he gave me his business card. I gave him mine. I backed that I carried him. And um, I never thought about it again, to be honest. I never thought about it again. I thought it was a very nice guy. I never thought about it again. And I want to say it was a year, or I could look it up. It was a year or two later. I got an email from him simply saying, uh, Coach Thorpe, you know, you met me with with Illuminae. Of course, I remember that. Once he said it, I'm retiring from basketball. I don't know what I, I can do, but I want to stay involved in basketball. What should I do? How can I get started? I live in Britain, which is not a hub for basketball. No. And it, I think within a month or two, the Final Four was going on in Atlanta. And I said, you should come to Atlanta. I'd, I'd, if, if you have to, you can stay in my room. But if you have if you have friends, you can stay with them. He knew a lot of he, he went to college in the States. So he knew some people. Um, I'll introduce you to everyone I can. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more and we'll get started. We do all email. There was no texting. He didn't have a cell phone, ladies. He, he that that very first day we coordinated where we're meeting. I remember like it was yesterday. He had shaved his head at that point. And I remember if he was bald, but I just know that big fade was gone. And um I took him to dinner with Leonard Hamilton and the Florida State coaching staff. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to dinner and I, and I had prepped him on, talk about the players you know they can recruit because colleges always want to recruit players. And we just formed a friendship right then. 
And then he started sending Nigerian players to me to work with very good players, mostly European, somewhere in college still. And um, yeah, we just got to be friendly. And I don't want to go into how I kind of hooked him up with the magic with everything he did. The bottom line is he, his charisma and charm and, and, you know, and just interest in doing all the work that needed to be done is what got him his start. And uh, yeah. And the rest is history. He's obviously done very well for himself. That's amazing. Yeah. That's it, a- it, it's a lesson. There's a lesson there that I've talked to my kids about. In fact, Masai that, that weekend in Atlanta, he, I, I lent him my, I loaned him my cell phone. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, wasn't a lot of this business done with your phone as well? <laughs> it was crazy. I was getting phone calls from Gino, Irenema, whatever his name is from Connecticut. And he knew girls that could play too. And all these coaches were calling me. And I think they were surprised when they heard just a regular English, uh, American accent on the phone. I think they were expecting his Messiah's voice. Right. And um, yeah, so I knew he had made a lot, I met a lot of friends that first, made a lot of connections. Um, but yeah, he's uh, like, this is a lesson. He used to come visit my kids in the crib. My kids are 20 now. That's how long I've known him. He would bring, oh, this is so sweet. Their first birthday. Oh, I probably had four. I had lots of pros here. Uh, this was 2002. But I had four or five Nigerians all living together. Uh, you could look up the year that there was a World Cup where Nigeria was in the group of death. Mm-hmm. And Masai came down and stayed with my Nigerian players. And I could hear that it wasn't but half a mile from my, my old house. I could hear them cheering. I'm sure it was them when Nigeria <laughs> was playing in the World Cup. It was and probably them. To be honest. They, they all came over to my twins' first birthday. And mm-hmm. I didn't know why. I didn't invite them. And I, I said, I was happy, very happy to have them there. They lived, like I said, half a mile away. And Masai said, coach, they're here to pay respects to you. This is what we do. And that was very touching. He, he, his guys were amazing guys. And he, he probably is one to say, let's go. Um, but yeah, they, uh, I love, I'm still friends with those guys on Facebook. My first Nigerian players from him. And, and yesterday, yesterday, I was speaking to a very group of talented high school players at a school here in where I live in Clearwater. And right away, I recognized a young man was from the Sudan. And I said, oh, you're Sudanese. And he almost, I told my wife last night, he almost fell down. And he said, how do you know? I said, oh I've God. been coaching NBA players for 20 plus years, <laughs> including Lou Aldang. Like I'm so exposed now. I've had kids from Congo and Nigeria and uh, uh, obviously Senegal and Sudan and, and players from Europe whose parents were from Africa, like Giannis's situation. Yeah. And I, I credit Masai to some degree with helping really expose me to that part of the world. Uh, and uh, he knows I'm, we're so friendly. When he goes and opens up these camps in Africa, I get, and I'm not kidding, I get the 45 pictures on WhatsApp. No, oh, no. No, no text. Just 40, I'm not joking, 45 pictures of him opening up all these camps because he knows it means, he knows I'll appreciate what he's doing to get back to the game in a continent that he really cares about a lot. So it's, it's very heartwarming. Sayu Jiri is an African parent after all, guys. He he's is. Our, he's on what's like that picture. So was that the last question of the questions that we had? Okay. Yeah. So thank you so much, Coach, for joining us. We should definitely do like a mid-season check-in or something. I think that would be really great to see how the Raptors season has progressed and how the NBA's rookies have progressed throughout the um, season till then. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, that is it for today's episode of Dishes and Dimes. We hope you guys enjoyed and we'll check in with you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you.